If your friends haven't told you, McDonald's Spicy Chicken McNuggets are back. The ones made with spicy tempura and aged cayenne. But before you go telling friends, make sure you get them first. Order ahead on the McDonald's app. For a limited time at participating McDonald's. Here's three great reasons to get the new Samsung Galaxy S21 5G at T-Mobile. One, it's free for both current and new customers when you trade in an eligible device. Two, T-Mobile's the leader in 5G coverage. So, three, you can unleash 5G speeds in more places with your new phone. Get the new Galaxy S21 free at T-Mobile, the leader in 5G coverage. Phone via 24 monthly bill credits plus tax. If you cancel credit, stop and balance on required finance agreement may be due. Contact us. Qualifying credit and consumer plan required. See details at T-Mobile.com. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Welcome to Kaiju Curry House. This is your host, Joe. I am joined tonight by Paul and our special guest, writer and author, writer, author, illustrator, artist extraordinaire, and Kong fan, Joe DeVito. Episode 47 is what you've got us down for tonight. And without further ado, let's get to it. So, Joe, you are the man when it comes to the Marion C. Cooper King Kong. Do you want to take us through some of that? Just uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. Greetings to everybody, and uh, I'll give it my best shot. You know, I've, I've been a King Kong fan since the time I think I was three years old when my my older brother Vito, wow. also an artist, uh, sat me down in front of the TV to watch King Kong in black and white, small thirteen inch screen in New York City, and it blew my mind. And from that time. All the way through, I've always been thinking about, you know, where did he come from? You know, how did all this stuff happen? Because King Kong was so real, I bought all of it. Uh, when you're a little kid and you're impressionable with an imagination, and, and Kong, what's so unique about him is the personality that O'Brien imprinted on that creature when he did that animation. Uh, it was palpable. And as a little kid, loving dinosaurs, I won't get into the whole history uh, because, you know, we'll be here for five hours. But just suffice it to say, there was a dinosaur explosion back in the late 50s, early 60s. I was born in 57. And I was in the Museum of Natural History all the time. I was a little kid and I was born in, the, in the Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan at West 43rd between 9th and 10th. And right up the street, a few blocks away, you know, 80th Street or whatever, was the museum. And I'd be in there seeing those dinosaur skeletons, and then I see King Kong. Now, keeping in mind, I'm looking at dinosaur books. I'm looking at the toys of the time. They didn't have all the robotic stuff and CGI you have now. The toys I played with and that we were all raised on were plastic, solid plastic dinosaurs, you know. All of a sudden, you see this movie, and everything comes to life. These things are not, you know, just, uh, you know, in the pages of a book, which is very powerful. Don't get me wrong, because the imagination can't be beat. But the idea is, is that what was in your mind, you were actually looking at. And King Kong resonated with me as such a wondrous thing, that whole island and the dinosaurs on it. I never quite 
um, outgrew it. It always fascinated me. I was, I'm, I'm part scientist, I think. If I wasn't an artist or a writer, I'd be a scientist probably. And so over the years, the whole backstory was percolating in my head. As we, you know, had talked about, and I'm sure you guys have heard, you know, you look at that movie, and um, we won't get into all the details of the movie, I'll assume everybody knows, but just the wall itself. Uh, you look at this gigantic wall, and it's got these gigantic doors in it, and it's built ostensibly to keep him out. But why did they put doors big enough to let him in? You know, all of a sudden, like, where did that come from? And how did they get a wall like that built on the island when it's this seemingly primitive civilization on an island filled with gigantic dinosaurs and King Kong, how the heck can they possibly have built that thing? And so uh, at a certain point in my life, when a lot of things converged and combined at just the right time, I managed to carve out a space of time to begin working on just those questions. And I was driving. I, I actually was, uh, by the way, am I going too long? Tell me when to, to you bring up a fine point, sir. You have yeah. introduced yourself splendidly. Uh-huh. However, we have an amazing pun, which we start at the beginning of every episode. Uh-huh. And it is, what have Kaiju been up to? Uh-huh. So, Joe, before we go delving too deep into the fantastic yeah. lore that you have created for Kong, I'm going to ask you, what giant monster-related activities have you been up to in the last couple of weeks? Oh, boy. Well, I have two new books that just came out which are King Kong of Skull Island Exodus is part one, and King Kong of Skull Island, The Wall, is part two. And they outline the arrival of that original civilization on Skull Island and then how the wall got built. And what they are is the mass market version of the book you just held up, which is my that gigantic uh, all-in-one book that will never be printed again and nobody will ever really see it except those first 500 people that got it and that's it so what i did was i for the people that invested in that that's the only time it will appear that way so i i brought it out into two soft cover volumes and added more material to it so essentially those two books are the more literary versions of the boom comics that came out no not at all. No. Uh, okay, the, so yeah, the the Boom Comics were licensed through my company and are based in the original Skull Island story, history of Skull Island. These two these two things until the uh, the two soft cover books I just mentioned, uh, the the Skull Island original story that I copyrighted back in the nineties. Uh, had never been appeared and had never been published before, but was the source material that I used for Kong King of Skull Island that came out in 04 that I began working on throughout the 90s. And that was from Dark Wars, DH Press. Okay. The boom, uh, comic books were based as an alternate universe version of that. And while they were doing those comic books, I was putting my finishing touches on the book that you just held up, which exponentially expands on that initial introduction to the prequel sequel of King Kong. Now, all that sounds complicated, but it's really not from my perspective, because it was a step-by-step process 
that I needed uh, that I needed to go through in order to get it done. And I know there's questions, but I'll leave it there and wait. <laughs> All right. Well, you've done a great job there. I'm, I am going to pick your brain more about that in a bit. Yeah. However, it is now your turn to ask somebody what have Kaiju been up to. So you get to take it away, Joe. Uh, Paul, what have Kaiju been up to? Whew, thank you. Yeah. Nice delivery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't been up to much um, since our last recording, as we've been recording at quite a pace uh, during the lockdown. What I have done, though, is just finish Volume 3 of Kong of Skull Island, just in time for this episode. So I've now read all three volumes, and I'm looking forward to discussing that. Um, Other than that, not much. Uh, The only thing I was tempted to buy is something that Joe sent a link for, which was some... Defo real, uh, I'm guessing ripoffs from um, Those are totally Kalinko. Pirated things. They, yeah. yeah, I've never heard of the company Kalinko, but they've released five Godzilla figures which look exactly like Defo real models, and it was only twenty dollars. Yeah, folks, I'm just wondering how we cheap. Do not, we do not condone but the pirating. They're on Amazon. Of good, that does not mean so, that they're not. It, it doesn't pirated. mean it's okay. But how are they? How are they on? How, yeah, how is something? copyrighted selling on amazon like that just makes you wonder we do not know however um yeah it was just kind of funny that i found those and uh, it's gonna be one of the things where you get it and like the tail breaks off instantly isn't it it's just probably probably <laughs> they're like the side you can fit them on like the top of a pepsi bottle or something like yeah that. But, yeah i just feel oh, sorry for any poor child that like gets them as a gift and the, the, the unsuspecting parent. But of course, thinks, oh, it's you, an official... you said you wanted to buy them, so <laughs> I, I was tempted to see what they were like, just to see how <laughs> how bad they were, so that we could name and shame the company for doing yeah. it. Oh yeah, it's it's funny what you can find on Amazon these days. There is an informational dinosaur, and that is exactly what it's called. And it is the it is, and it is the same mold as a Godzilla vinyl Godzilla toy, but the paint job is so. And wildly different <laughs> it's like it's like looking at a negative photograph really it's like those colors but it's up there and why someone hasn't flagged that up i just have no idea yeah. i just i just wonder what you know what stuff is out there it, it's, it might lead me down a rabbit hole of searching on the internet oh to see what's, yeah because that could be fun have well, you has- guys seen the, the line of nezco king kongs that are all based in in my thing that have come out now, Joe, that's a bit of a sore point with me. I went to order one of those like 30 <laughs> seconds after they came online, and they were gone. And they were limited edition, yeah, but evidently. I, I brought, Salt I brought in the wound up. here, Joe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I could get one to you right away, but I, I hear what you're saying. You know, it. it uh, the, re- the reason I brought it up was I saw somebody had ripped that off online with the same kind of thing Paul was talking about. And I was wondering, you know, how did they do it? Uh, whatever. It was licensed through me, but I didn't, you know, Mezco does it. So it's their um, uh, uh, collectible, so to speak. You know yeah. what I mean? And both based on okay. drawings and, and my Kong, uh, per se. But yeah, to answer you guys' questions, there are are so many things out there, and it makes you wonder the hooks book people that just blatantly take something and reproduce it and wonder how they get away with it. We do not know. No. We do not condone it. That is for sure. <laughs> no. We want you to buy the proper thing. So, yeah. yeah. If, if However, some yourself. of the attempts, some of the attempts are humorous. I will say that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
It's when I see a four-headed like Ghidorah or something that I'm just going to oh. laughing. <laughs> anyway, yeah, not not much on my end. So, Joe, what have Kaiju been up to? Right. So, um, as we were discussing pre-episode, I recently introduced a friend to King Kong this week because I was talking about this interview, and she had never seen King Kong, and it was just one of those things where I oh right you're going to hang out with me and that's not no we're we're just not that 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 just can't happen so i had kind of a discussion back and forth with myself internally which kong do i show her first so we have the monsterverse one we have the dino de laurentis ones we have or you know like those two films affiliated we have the peter jackson one and we have the original one so the original one, it would have been a bit dry for her, and she would have immediately picked up on the blackface, the sexism, and the things that you could get away with in cinema at that time period. Um, I thought about the Dino De Laurentiis one, but Joe, as you just mentioned, one of the things that you get with Kong is dinosaurs, and mm-hmm. one of the things that both of those films is severely lacking in is dinosaurs. <laughs> They have one very bad snake, and that's it. I felt a bit oh. disappointed. Um, after that, it was the first one, which isn't half bad. I mean, it's a fun tale, but when I sit down to Kong, it's really the original and Peter Jackson that hold the most weight and hold the most water, in, in my opinion. So the Peter Jackson one being a far more bloated runtime, but a much better retelling of King Kong was the one that went out in the end. It's also the one that I made my mother sit through. Um, my mother sat through, I don't know, all but the last 10 minutes of it. She saw him climbing the Empire State Building and she goes, and spoilers, folks, who haven't seen it, because apparently you're out there. She goes, he doesn't die, does he? Uh-huh. So my mom, who normally falls asleep in like the first 15 minutes of every film, you know, sat through that entire like three-hour runtime, and then she gets to the end and she's like, he doesn't die, right? So this doesn't end well for him, Mom. So she got at that point, she got up and went away and started cooking because she couldn't stand it, which I think was the tell that it was a great film because, you know, you become emotionally attached to that Kong. But, uh, yeah, anyways, I introduced someone to Kong this week, and I like to think that I gave them a good uh, introduction to it. The only question that she had, and I thought it was rather funny, I mean, she she normally is really good at, like, zeroing in on things, like Joe. The fact that the wall is meant to keep these big things out, but the door is big enough to let them in. She zeroed it right in on that. I go, there's a reason for that. (laughs) But um, what what she caught that I thought was funny was the Vestatosaurus, which is the big Tyrannosaur uh dinosaur's name peter jackson's king kong he's eating that uh i think it's like a photodon a stink tooth i think this was called but it's land living crocodile and it's eating that and it's also chasing ant at the same time mm-hmm. she goes he's already eating something why is he chasing her right right <laughs> that but you know i i i, I like to think that i you know feigned that one really well it's like well the natural instinct of a predator is to chase after anything that runs away from it so i was like Got that one done, but um, 
and hope she bought it so you can move on, right? She, yeah, yeah she, <laughs> she did buy that. And to a degree, it is true. If you run away from a predator, you know, typically that they will follow after you. But that uh, is. she's a tiny little thing. He's already got a big giant meal that he's munching on, you know? It, hey, it's dinosaur logic, not human That's logic. I, I can't, I can't <laughs> vouch for it. But um, anyways, watch that. It was a good movie. Um, she said it was quite sound, and yeah, it was a good introduction to King Kong, in my opinion. Um, had she been as geeky as myself, I probably would have made her watch the 1933 original and then watch the Peter Jackson version. But I didn't want to try and test my luck with that. Well, I think. In my mind, where I, I love, you know, most of the King Kong stuff, uh, even going back to when I was a little kid, the King Kong versus Godzilla with the rubber suits and the guy in the in the, in the gorilla outfit and whatnot. But the original King Kong, nothing in my mind even comes close in, in any way. And, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that it, it is a, a diamond of visual and uh, storytelling and just storytelling. Uh, period. There's not an ounce of fat on that movie. There's not a wasted second, you know, and you have to look at it as I would say, and I'm saying as you, not you, I'm talking about just the, the general, you know, things have to be kept in context. You know, if you start applying today's norms to things that were done a hundred years ago, you'll never let go of anything. It'll go on forever. Uh, and, you know, imagine being in a marriage with somebody where they keep pointing out what you did 20 years ago when you've already gone past that and you, you know, corrected your mistakes and you, and all of the rest, but they never let go of it. You know, uh, marriage is doomed to failure. And the idea is that the original King Kong was actually in some ways progressive. Cooper actually gave, you know, Noble Johnson and Steve Clemento lead credits in the movie. That'd never been done before, as to my knowledge. You know, but the, the, the point. So in other words, they were making progress with it. But that's a side issue I don't even need to go down because it was a movie of its time. What I want to concentrate on, though, is the storytelling in that movie, how clean and direct it was, that long buildup where these people are in the depression in real life. You know, and you're you're watching this movie and you're thinking, holy Mac, you know, it starts out in the depression. What could be worse than that? You know, and then by the time you get to that island, so much stuff goes on when you think about just a few short years before people had just begun talking in movies like what maybe seven or eight years earlier the first uh talking movies and now they're showing things on that screen that people never even dreamed of before the leap in special effects and whatnot is incredible uh to wit your mom who was so connected to this little 18 inch puppet that she couldn't handle the fact that he might die in the end you know but I'll get that just real quick, cutting right to the chase. What was so great about that movie, I think, is that the unrequited love of King Kong was a very powerful aspect of the telling of that story. You know, it was a Beauty and the Beast story where King Kong had a love, if you want to call it that, a connection and infatuation with Anne Dower, where he gave his life for her. Something that most humans wouldn't do with King Kong did. Fought to the death to defend her. And she never for a second reciprocated. It makes Kong an incredibly empathetic, a, a tragic figure. Because this noble creature goes through everything on Earth. All the way to fighting to the top of the Empire State Building. And taking on all of civilization to protect this woman who can't stand him. He's just trying to get her to understand him. You know? And uh, that was a major part of the original film. 
that I think was lacking in all of the the, the, the recent remakes because uh, the the character it's that unrequited part of it. You know, Khan was a monster who just could not get what what he was going after. That's one point that that I would make on why I think the original is so great. And plus the fact, like I said, there's not an ounce of fat on that movie. It's a perfect uh, story in in terms of how it was done. Unrequited love is a terrible thing. You it's bet. quite toxic. It always ends badly. You and bet. yeah, just don't get in that trap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't find yourself on top of a building. Just mm-hmm. stay away. But yeah, so Joe, um, we're going to take our first break now. But uh, when we get back, what we're going to go ahead and do is I'd like you to start taking us through your literary works and in what order we should read all of these wonderful books that you've... Oh, my. I'll do my best. There we go. All right. Recently on the Heroes Podcast Network, Echo Station. Well, what's the main, think... what's the main planet that Indoor... The forest moon of Endor. It's a moon. So it's there's a major planet, obviously, that it... Is the forest moon of Endor? Is Endor the actual planet, then? See, th- isn't that confusing? <laughs> yes. Is it the forest moon of the planet Endor, or is it the forest moon called Endor? Screen heroes. If the MCU gets that, then I really think that Space Jam needs to be part of the DCEU. Yes! Okay, because... <laughs> they have a big Marvel versus DC crossover when Air Bud takes on Space Jam. Man, we should write for these companies. <laughs> it's it's Air Bud versus Bugs Bunny. That's, That's what it's right. all come down to. One-on-one. Yes, done. All right. And then, like, at the end, it's Galactus versus LeBron James. And oh, Squirrel Girl wins. <laughs> Red shirts and runabouts. Something we've talked about before, and other people have, but there's there's so much of real-life history involved with Star Trek. From Gene Roddenberry's days, his time in the military as, as on, on a bomber pilot, as a bomber crewman, you know, James Doohan serving, all these people and all these real-life events that have impacted things. That's very realistic of political and military leaders kind of resigning in protest at a decision they can't control. Subscribe today at heroespodcast.com. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Podcast Addict, and more. Hello, and welcome back to the second part of Kaiju Curry House. Me and Joe are here today with Joe DeVito to talk all about Kong. He has done a lot of Kong stuff. I'm quite new to it. I've only just read uh, the Kong of Skull Island books, volumes one, two, and three, and I understand this quite a lot more. So, Joe, would you care to tell me how someone new to the series should start reading your books? Because you have more, more than one, I believe. I'll give it my best shot, Joe. Thanks. <laughs> if you want to be introduced to the series, probably in its most, not probably, in it, if you want to be introduced to it in its most complete form, rather than going from front to back, if there's the new books that just came out, basically contain everything in one shot. Because it's been an evolutionary, no pun intended, process going from the beginning to where we are now. And the new books that have just come out, which are essentially the the limited edition collector volume that I did, but now in mass market form, uh, it's got the most up to date information, up to date story that I've that I've done to this point. But it took a while to get to that, and so going from the beginning, I'll I'll lay out a couple of the the uh, the key points along the way to make sense of all of the different King Kong things out there and why there's a little bit of material in one of the books that will appear in the next book. There's a reason for it. Okay. 
Okay. So uh, how it all began was uh, I I was actually approached back in the, the late 80s or the early 90s, like as in 1990, maybe 1991. Um, somebody came to me and, and wanted to, uh, they asked me to do a coffee table version of King Kong to illustrate a gigantic big book with, you know, all the illustrations in it and all the rest of, of the original uh, movie uh, type stuff and, and story. And I got to thinking about it. And at that point in my career, uh, uh, Joe, talking about having, well, I won't get into that. It goes off on too, too many tangents. I'll just say that when I gave it some thought, what really appealed to me was not to redo King Kong because it had already been done. And I was such a huge fan of the original movie. What I decided to do was, wait a minute, I'm going to take an opportunity to answer all of the questions that I've dreamt about all of my life and to create the first real prequel sequel to the King Kong canon. That's what I sought out to do, you know, starting with uh, whatever happened to King Kong's body. You know, that was one of the things when I was a little kid. I was, as I mentioned earlier, I was born in Midtown Manhattan. And I'd walk out in the street and look at the Empire State Building every day. And I would imagine him, you know, up on top there. And I'd go, well, what happened to him? You know, and it had to be that, you know, being a, a little kid in New York, you know, going to the Museum of Natural History. What's the logical uh, answer to that? He's in the Museum of Natural History. He's got to be there, you know. And I'd go to the Hall of Dinosaur and I never found him. And that was one of those things, because to me as a kid, King Kong was real. I mean, that, that person, you know, I, I know at a certain point, I know it was just a movie, of course. But the imprint, you know, the imagination, the, the imaginary uh, character that that created was just mesmerizing to me. And so I began to, I, I set out to, to, to write what happened, how he got there. Why is he on this island? You know, if you know about dinosaurs and paleontology, the general understanding is, believe it or not, that a lot of people find this uh, surprising, but mammals and dinosaurs actually evolved together. They arrived at the same time out of this creature called an archosaur. And the first mammals and the first dinosaurs actually went head to head in the battle to take over the world, to, to put it all in very simple terms. You know, and by the way, a dinosaur, generally what makes a dinosaur a dinosaur is its own hip structure, where the, the legs, instead of out on the sides like a crocodile or a lizard, they swung underneath like a horse. So it made it very, very quick, freed up, they were bipedal, freed up the hands. You can use hands to start getting binocular vision. You start, you know, having to coordinate your whole cerebral cortex, and all of a sudden you start getting smarter and faster and everything else. Long story short, the first dinosaurs mopped the floor with the mammals. Mammals had no chance. It's also so true that whole, in the Permian during the Great Dying, it was kind of a massive desert, and their ability to withhold water and not evaporate themselves to death, so to speak, uh, that helped a bit too. But Absolutely. You know, the formation of an egg and everything else, being able to, to not be tied to the water in order to reproduce, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, all of it. There's a million things that, that all come into play. And, of course, this is only what we know so far. All right. We're discovering new things all the time. But the, the, the general thing there is, is that dinosaurs took over virtually every niche. And so far as we know, so far as I know, you know, the biggest mammals they've found from the time of the dinosaurs are about the size of a badger. 
You know, most of them were a lot smaller than that. Every other niche was filled by dinosaurs. So I knew this, and I'm thinking to myself, well, how in the heck did a 30-foot gorilla end up on Skull Island? You know, because I'm very logical that way, which is why I did this whole thing to begin with. I, I just wanted to make it work in my head. Um, and so I began on this journey to come up with that backstory, uh, starting with what happened to Kong's body, uh, how he got back to Skull Island, uh, why, and, and all of the rest. And what I, I, I did in a nutshell was I began, what I needed was a hook. I needed a hook in order to tie modern day man and the journey of somebody from this day and age into the story of what happened on that island so that it would all synergize and, and give a, uh, a reason, uh, for telling that made sense. Cause it's all about the human story when all is said and done, um, with any good story, in my opinion. So. It was very difficult to do at first, to be honest with you. You know, I look at it now and it all seems so logical. But coming up with that original thought, I'm thinking, well, could somebody have done this? I, I was driving on a New Jersey turnpike and I called my friend up who asked me to do this coffee table book. I said, hey, I'm coming into the city. We're, we met at a, a pizzeria over on the, between Broadway and Amsterdam and 110th Street, 111th Street, I think. And I ran this thing. I said, I'm going to do a prequel sequel with King Kong. He said, it's been done. I said, no, it hasn't. He said, oh, it's been done before. Somebody's done the whole thing. When was that done? It was done in, <laughs> let's see if I, uh, 1999, it looks like. Yeah, I'm talking about 1991 here, so, there right? You go. So we're, we're talking about, uh, and I'm not just talking about a little snippet of something here. And I'm talking about a real in-depth prequel sequel, you know, like that really talks about who is that civilization? Where did they come from? You know, what, what do they have to do with the Kongs? Where did Kong come from? All of that. I'm talking about an in-depth thing that I had never seen. And finally said, you know, it hasn't been done. I said, and he said, well, that means it's a really good idea. So I said, that's what I think too. So I began and I, what I, what really, this whole thing had its origin there. And I took the driving in my car and I wouldn't listen to music anymore. I would just daydream. I, it took a lot of time, a, a bit of discipline to do that. But then all of a sudden it hit me on how to tell the story. What's the hook on the story? And this is the origin of it. Was that, you know, I mean, it's a very uh, pedantic, if you want to call it, uh, origin of, you know, or rather a, a pedantic uh, starting point with the son of Carl Denham, you know, uh, trying to find out what happened to his father. Um, the thing is, though, he lost his dad early on, and he becomes a paleontologist, but he's got this anger inside, not knowing who his father was, what happened to him, why his whole family got buried in all the legal stuff after King Kong and whatnot. In short, he begins to build a wall around himself psychologically, and he tries to bury himself in this museum just dealing with bones all the time because he doesn't want to deal with the outside world. And that was the hook that finally hit me, was that he was hiding in fear behind a personal psychological wall, and the natives were hiding in fear behind a physical wall, and they were both dying inside. And that was the hook that connected his story in the modern day with what needed to happen on that island in the, in the past all the way leading up to the present, and how those stories would form 
the need to find out what happened on Skull Island. And of course, I built that entire universe around the nexus of King Kong himself. How did Kong become a king? He wasn't always a king. He wasn't born that way. What ruled that island before he, he you know, what was that backstory? And that entire thing took me uh, several, you know, a few years to, to really get into uh, literary form per se. And that turned into the first version, exactly. That, that book was actually the novelization of the Kong King of Skull Island that came out from DH Press and it was published in 04, um, but it, it was in, in development uh, all throughout the 90s um, in, in some way, shape, or form. But the initial core story was Skull Island. And Skull Island I copyrighted in 97. And that core story was never published per se, because what I did was I had core illustrations, a series of them, also that core story. And I, I want to, um, uh, again, I could, again, I'm, I'm actually giving you the short version of it, but I want to give a lot of props to my co-author, Brad Strickland, who is a very dear friend of mine. And as primarily an artist at first, working on a story with three different timelines while I'm trying to get all of the illustrations and everything done at the same time, Brad was absolutely instrumental in helping me take the two or three telephone books worth of notes and story and character outline that I had and putting it all together in a, in a novel and novelize it. And that's where the, the Dark Horse book came from. So that was the first prequel sequel to King Kong in a, in a pretty in-depth form that I believe ever came out. And that was all done throughout the 90s. Now, while all this was getting done, I didn't know who had the rights and everything else. And I won't get into that uh, in, any, in any detail except to say that somewhere early in the 90s, I had contacted the Coopers, tracked down the Cooper family, got in touch with all of you know, uh, their people, their legal and all of the rest, flew out to California when I had all of my story and a bunch of illustrations and everything done and pitched my entire project to them. And over the years, we became, you know, they, they were mesmerized by it, uh, supported it, gave me their sole endorsement. I, I have, I'm the only one endorsed by the Cooper family as the official part extension of their, uh, their family's, uh, King Kong. Yes. So, um, for our listeners who might not know as much about King Kong, uh, as us three, Marion C. Cooper is the fella that dreamt Kong up. You could call him Kong's creator, his father, so to speak. So when well, you went to the Cooper family, the Cooper estate, mm -hmm. you're essentially going to the source and asking permission and giving them what you thought. And it was their like incredibly positive feedback that really got this project going full tilt. Couldn't, right? couldn't have said it better myself, Joe. That's exactly what happened. And Cooper not only created King Kong in terms of conceiving the character and the whole dynamic, but he also directed and produced the movie and, and everything else, along with Shotzak and, and other people. But he's the core guy. Willis O'Brien, of course, breathed life into the animation process. That's a whole other aspect of King Kong that is absolutely uh, important. But Cooper is, if you want to call him, the father of King Kong in that regard. Yes. So I, I wanted I wanted the imprimatur of the creator, uh, the the family of the creator, because Cooper had passed away in '73. But I wouldn't do something like this and try to undertake it unless I had 
the uh, complete approval of the people that created the character. And I got it. And that is that was the key, the source of where all this happened. It took many years to get it all done, to get it all fleshed out, to get book contracts, to get... When we made our new McDonald's spicy chicken McNuggets, you were praise hands emoji. Then we ran out and you were streaming tears emoji. Now they're back, so you can be grinning face with sweat emoji. Order ahead on the McDonald's app. For a limited time at participating McDonald's. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Hip, 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 powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxwain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. The whole thing done, and then the first fully illustrated book, and it took me a couple of years to get it done. I was working on it, like I said, throughout the 90s, but then really intensely when, when we signed our contract uh, in 2002, uh, with Dark Horse, it took me a couple of years to get it done. So there was a whole body of work that was produced after the the book contract was signed, and a, a smaller body of work, the seminal work, the key paintings that were produced before that, uh, that were associated with the Skull Island story. Okay, so the original Skull Island story is the core. The Dark Horse Kong King of Skull Island novel is based in the Skull Island story, as in as is every single book that came after. All right. So Dark Horse Kong King of Skull Island came out, then the soft cover version, and then a series of years went by because this is a very, very labor-intensive process to try to get this stuff done when you're doing it like me alone. All right. I had Brad helping, you know, with the writing, and we were trading off. And then the new books in the introduction. It outlines that whole process and a good deal of what I'm talking about right now. But the bottom line is that the, the creation of this whole thing, the characters, the visuals, the whole paleontological aspect of it, the whole geologic aspect, all of that was all the stuff I, I, I came up with. And it takes years to do. And the new books that have just come out are, well, let's put the next book was in 17. I finally got the next iteration of it out where I took what I started in the original Skull Island story that was novelized in the Dark Horse book, Kong, King of Skull Island. It all started, you know, that was the first iteration. Then in the limited edition book that I did that you held up in the slipcase, it's like a, a, an encyclopedia. I just went nuts and took that world and expanded on it exponentially and came up with the whole, where did these civilizations, the details behind the Tagatu civilization, the details behind the Kongs on where they came from, literally, how they ended up on Skull Island, the, the, the exodus that they had to go through after the calamity that happened. Uh, and this is all based in real events in terms of historical and geological as we know them. Uh, and how they ended up on Skull Island. And then once they got there, you know, what happened when they were there, when they met the indigenous life forms, when they came face to face, because in my initial Skull Island story, carried through in the initial book from 2004 from Dark Horses, my, my whole uh, uh, conceit from the beginning is that Skull Island is still here. 
which means that the animals on that island continued to evolve for a further 65 million years. Now, Joe, I know you're into paleontology and you know that, you know, uh, dinosaurs were around for just short of around 300 million years. There were actually primates in the fossil record going all the way back to the very beginning uh, after the dinosaurs evolved. There, there's primitive uh, primates, so to speak, going back to about 65 million years ago. And depending on how you want to uh, uh, analyze how we came about, that's a short period of time from then, meaning 65 million years ago to now, to end up with modern man from a little marsupial kind of uh, um, lemur kind of creature. Well, what would have happened with dinosaurs if they were around not 65 million years, they were around almost 300 million years. What actually happened there that we may not know about? And what would have happened on Skull Island to those creatures if they continually kept forward evolving? And the whole point of my story is, is that when they get to Skull Island, there is a sentient race of dinosaurs there, or a pseudo-sentient race. And then the battle for Skull Island begins, and we could go on. Um, I'll, I'll end this part of it right there, uh, but I want to give more on it in terms of the series of books and what to read in what order and, and how they make sense. But I know I monologue there for quite a bit, and you may have questions. Yeah, it's it's really interesting what you've done. First of all, I'm I'm going to give you a book in case you haven't already heard of it. Um, the New Dinosaurs by Dougal Dixon. Have you heard of that book? I have not actually. No. Dougal Dixon is an evolutionary biologist, and he came out with uh, three books. There is After Man, a zoology of the future, and it takes place 50 million years after human beings go extinct, which mm -hmm. is fun. Um, there is the new dinosaurs, which essentially it is, if they'd never gone, gone extinct, where would they be now? Mm -hmm. And then there is, I think it's man after man, and it's basically a zoology of our future and where we're evolving. But they're huge. They're they're just whimsy, but they're grounded. Actually, I have, I have heard of these. I haven't read them, but I read short synopsis on them and stuff, and just general articles about them, yes. Oh, they're fun. Track yeah. them down. Um, anybody who's interested, um, there is a social media account called Tetzu, T-E-T-Z-O-O. And um, if you go on there, Dougal Dixon is um, brought up frequently, and are, as are these books, because speculative, speculative evolution is a fun thing. Oh, um, I love it. Yeah, but go there. I, I do enjoy the um, this the pseudo-sentient uh, death runners is what I think you call them. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to get an idea of what these uh, critters are, they aren't friendly, but they are more than your Jurassic Park raptor. They are about what chimps would be to us. They are not quite... Um, th they communicate. They have a clear working idea of what's going on. They work together culture eh, i don't know but uh there is definitely something going on behind the eyes and uh they are a fantastic creation i love them and i really love the now, these are the ones in my books to be clear that, that we're talking about right yes, yes yes definitely and um i am a huge fan of gaw 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually been some uh, fan fiction show. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but uh, some folks have taken it so far as that Gaw could have been a precursor to Godzilla, or Godzilla's original species would have been a Gaw. So there are, yeah, there are fans that take it in that direction, just wow. so you're aware. Wow. But uh, yeah, it is it is really fun to see all. I mean, you put a lot of work, a lot of real, legitimate, speculative, evolutionary work into all of the creatures on your island, and Thank I you. do I do enjoy all of that. I also like how you were cheeky enough to put in like a little bit of the original Kong nineteen thirties dinosaur vibe on them as well. So while and what i say with that is so you have a mosasaur in kong king of skull island and that's the 2004 book it Mm -hmm. kind of just it has a brief cameo we'll put it that way but um you painted it in such a lovely retro sort of way uh you kind of painted it in the charles r knight sort of uh mosasaur going by one of the uh protagonists as he's just swept off the boat I won't give away too much, but I really love how you blended the uh, nostalgic Kong with the scientific Kong. I think that your books do an absolutely brilliant job of that. Thank you, Joe. Because you, 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 uh, go ahead, because you have no idea how close to home you're hitting on what on, on what I was trying to do. But okay. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's the fun stuff. So in um, Kong King of Skull Island, one of the things that you did. And this this would be like an eye roll thing, but it is a wonderful speculative evolution thing um, where, uh, where I mean, like some paleontologists are like, wow, we, we don't know necessarily if that would be the way, but you put a trunk on a sauropod. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed that. I remember looking at that when I was younger and I was like, can you do that? Like, what, what was going on? What? So mm-hmm. again, this is just like interesting ways of thinking. So... Um, there's a book out there uh, written by a fellow named Darren, and I'm going to mispronounce his name. Please forgive me if you're listening, Darren. Darren Nash, and uh, he's the guy that heads up Tetsu, but he did a book called All the Yesterdays, and it's essentially just art about all the things that we get wrong about uh, paleo art. And it's um, like sauropods with trunks that's one idea but what what he did there's one thing it's towards the end of the book but what you have in a lot of books out there is shrink-wrapped dinosaurs for those of you who are not familiar with the term shrink-wrapped dinosaurs means no it's like the things like jurassic park so jurassic park you can see their ribs they're all muscle there's no fat there there are no yeah it's it's just like these animals don't have any wobbly bits. That's basically what it comes down to. So a great way to think of this, folks, is look at a skull of a Tyrannosaurus rex, right? It's iconic. And then if you look at the face of any artist reconstruction of what a Tyrannosaurus rex looks like, you will see that that face looks almost exactly like the skull. Now, fair enough, Lots of skulls look like the face. A human face reconstructed from its skull, there's a lot going on there. But there are things in the animal kingdom that you can't just guess at based on the skull alone. So in the back of this book, they have a hippopotamus skull. So we all know what hippos look like. They're these big, lumpy, chunky, you know, they look cute, but they're dangerous. You know, like they're they're fat. A hippo is fat. But if Mm. you look at the skull... 
the skull, if it was shrink-wrapped like that, like what we do with a dinosaur, you would get an entirely different animal. You'd get this creature with horns coming out the side of its head. You'd get like these giant tusks and fangs. You'd get all sorts of stuff. So another animal that, you know, like you wouldn't want to necessarily see shrink-wrapped or, you know, like you could get wrong. Aliens in the future could get this wrong, but a cat. So if you look at the skeleton of a cat, so let's let's just muse on this for a second. So, ooh, ah, a velociraptor had a killer claw on its foot, like a switchblade. It was incredible. These things would run down and get you. So in all the yesterdays, what they hit on is like, ah, oh, you've heard of a raptor, but have you heard of this thing called a cat? Not one, but five switchblades on each one of their right. fingers. Right. I know, right. but there are, these, there are these things that, like, you don't get. So when you put a trunk on a sauropod, which is those long-necked, long-tailed, enormous dinosaurs, which we're all familiar, little foot for anybody who doesn't necessarily know. Uh. So what you did, Joe, is, like, the nasal cavity on a lot of these exactly. sauropod dinosaurs is huge. Yes. And if you're looking at it, you would, I mean, like, you wouldn't be that far off to say, well, an elephant has a large nasal cavity coming out of its forehead, kind of like that. Precisely. So, did sauropods have a trunk? Who, do, I mean, like, there's, you evidence, there's evidence that says not, there's evidence that says, no, oh, maybe you could, but the thing is, is that we don't know. We don't have the lumpy bits, we don't have the fleshy bits. So, when you read Joe's works, folks that are listening, you're in for a treat because. There's a lot of great speculative evolution that goes into these books that's really fun. So Joe's Death Runners, Joe's dinosaurs, they aren't just scaly. Some of them have feathers. Some of them have like the hairy pseudo feathers that look like fur. Um, they also have like the spikes, the eyebrows. There's a little bit of shrink wrapping on skulls, Joe, but I'm going to let you pass on that because you did a great job. But you cool. You gotta yeah, do it. it looks cool. <laughs> like part of this is great speculative evolution, but the other thing that you did is like, oh, it's gotta look cool. Come on. Right. So right. you're walking like the perfect marriage of those things, which I think a lot of folks in our fandom really like. So is Godzilla a dinosaur? Oh, of course he's not, but he's made to look like one. And his you know background is sort of you know like could he have been a could he have been a dinosaur at one point? Eh, well, maybe, but. There's a lot of great speculative evolution that goes into this. And you've prepared this entire ecology, you've prepared the ecology of the entire island. One of the things that I'm going to call out that you've done is you've done a map of the island. And in all of your books, I've looked through them, and that map holds up through all of them. You can tell where everybody was at this, that, and other point. Because Skull Island is mapped, you put an actual ecology to the island, you put zones to the island, you have done a lot of base work on this, which is one of the tells, in my opinion, of a really great story. So you can have a really fun story, but if it's built on sand, you're going to grow up or you're going to show it to your friends and someone's going to pick it apart and it's no longer going to be one of those things that you're immediately passionate about or you retain that passion for. It will kind of go, oh... But what you've done is you've put a you put a granite foundation on this thing. You have you've taken the source material, which is the original Cooper Kong, and you have expanded on that and you have just laid down all of the brickwork just methodically in building up this island and building up this Kong. At no point 
do I read anything in any of your books and go, oh, hold the phone, don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really enjoy about it because I can I know if I pick up anything from your universe, it's not going to be so outlandish. So earlier, folks, I did something rather cool to Joe. Um, <laughs> I held up we're, we're on Zoom right now, so I held up a book that uh, I read not actually too long after I picked up Kong King of Scotland. I picked up um, Russell Blackford's Kong Reborn. This is kind of like a Jurassic Park take on Kong. And it's basically some folks that go to the top of the Empire State Building. They're doing some repairs and they find like really old blood. And one thing leads to another and we're cloning King Kong. So then Kong can't live where the, he needs to be. There, there are environmentalists, as there always are. Environmentalists serve a definite pur purpose and we are glad that they exist. But the environmentalists don't want Kong in a controlled environment or Kong 2.0. So they have to take him back to Skull Island, which, of course, still exists. And it's kind of a happy ending because they find more Kongs and he goes back to his family and yay. But um, in this, a lot of the science and a lot of the stuff just isn't there. So while it was fun on its first read through, I can't say that like it's held up as well. Whereas by comparison, Joe, your books, they they have a lot of speculative evolution, which may or may not hold up in 100 years' time. Who knows? But the way that you pose the stories, the art, and what you're going for, it, I think that it really holds the test of time. And there's a lot of rereadability. I mean, like, I don't know how many times I'm going to read your tome, but I've read Kong, King of Skull Island easily 10 times and just looking through the pictures and everything your art was fantastic in it but now i've rambled so there you go <laughs> joe i i don't have the words to to thank you enough because what i did over a series of years and and again in the novelization of it and everything i always want to throw uh uh, uh what what do you call it um i'm missing the word a shout out or whatever, but much more than that. I'm talking about to Brad Strickland, uh, who is, as I mentioned earlier, such a close friend and helped so much in, in being able to get all of this stuff novelized because I've got telephone books of information and dialogue and, and, um, creature and scientific stuff and everything. And then we would, you know, uh, Brad was absolutely instrumental and a, a shout out, I, I guess you want to say, but, much stronger than that. But that being said, the world is a very complex one, Joe. And it is not easy to get through it and analyze it the way that you just did accurately. I am, my hat is off to you, man, because it's a lot of work that goes in the, because these things do all connect. It is all synergized. It does all make sense. And it was a lot of work to make that happen, but it's also, very complicated if you don't read it, if you only read it once. You've got to read it two, three, four times to really begin seeing how it all meshes. And thank you for that. I, I truly appreciate it. Just to know that it, it worked well for a guy uh, who knows what he's reading and knows reasonable wow. stuff from not. You did stretch me on a couple of things. So I'm also a huge Edgar Rice Burroughs fan. Uh-huh. So when I saw that you did King Kong versus Tarzan, 
at first, I mean, like, I, I, I definitely have it. I've read it here. Okay. And um, I, I love Tarzan. I've read all of Edgar Rice Burroughs' stuff on it. And if you mm-hmm. don't think that Edgar Rice Burroughs would not have done a, a Tarzan versus King Kong, you are dead wrong. He milked that character to death. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I was just like, okay, Joe, let's see how you do this one. And um, so how I do want to ask, because um, this takes place, this, this is, again, tied to your universe. Um, but, uh, I'm going to say Will Murray also, uh, exactly. I have to, I have to, uh, just jump in there and say that is actually Will Murray's novel. Oh, okay. Where when he came up with all of this stuff, I, I licensed a character out to him and I always made him run by me what he wrote when he wrote, when he wrote about Kong to make sure that it was within the realm of what would, of, of what could work. But that I did not have direct like input on the story and, and whatnot. It was more just overseeing and making sure he didn't out step outside the bounds of what was reasonable, so to speak. But also, it was a great idea, I thought, because one thing I never thought of, and I'll stop here so you can go on. I never, th- I always just in my mind's eye imagined Denim taking the, uh, you know, in in the uh, the book, it's the Wanderer back across the Pacific. I never thought of him coming down around the south of Africa and up the coast to come across the Atlantic, because once you got Kong off the boat, how do you get him from California to New York? You got to let him off in New York, you know, so to speak. So yeah. but go ahead. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, well, it, it, it's really fun. So yeah. it, you, you find a lot of things out. Like one of the things that I really enjoy is as much as you can love the Cooper Kong, there are plot holes, but you mm. have filled all of these plot holes and mm. Will Murray filled in a plot hole. And mm. it, it's enjoyable because the whole transporting King Kong is a good chunk of this story. And it is some of the best part of it. So Kong, he eats, but he's not friendly when he's awake, but he needs to be mm. awake to eat. So how do we get around that problem? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, we have, you know, Tarzan's uh, interactions with Kong, which I found really interesting. So Tarzan was raised by apes. He mm. can effectively speak with them in uh, any Tarzan canon uh, story. Mm-hmm. And there's a dialogue between um, Tarzan and Kong. But what I thought Will did an amazing job at, the part that I really got, and I'm not going to reveal anything because, of mm-hmm. course, it's Kong versus Tarzan. They're going to meet. Tarzan speaks with apes. Kong is a giant ape. There was going to be some kind of interaction there, folks. Mm-hmm. But when Tarzan speaks with Kong, he says Kong's dialect or his words, you know, I'm putting quotations that you can't mm-hmm. see, they're that of a young creature. They are very basic to give you an idea. Mm-hmm. And when I think of that, I, I think back to your original story, Joe, and it's like, well, they would be because he did have parents that raised him on Skull Island. You can't be a baby wandering around Skull Island. That's just not going to work. Correct. But his parents were killed. Mm-hmm. So he, I mean, like in Kong terms, yeah, he had his mom and dad till he was like, I don't know, seven or eight years old. And then like maybe... And mm. like that's that's the end of his dialogue. He doesn't have an adult 
eight vocabulary. And mm-hmm. I thought that, that was just such a great character moment. I mean, you can think that it would be kind of like silly to call that out, like, oh, Kong and Tarzan are talking, but he actually had the thought process in there to consider the fact that Kong was orphaned at a very young age. So, mm-hmm. and, and he was the last. So his vocabulary is not going to be as developed. So at least that was my takeaway from it. The other thing that Will wrote while we're giving him a shout out mm-hmm. was uh, Doc Savage Skull Island. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I didn't know who Doc Savage was. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I've, I've, I've spoken heresy. I, 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 <laughs> no. I, I know the folly of my ways now. Again, but, he's before um, your time, Joe, but he's worth getting into. He's the core of everything. With the, the book. Oh, I, I read the old stuff. I mean, yeah. like, all, all of the original Conan the Barbarians. Uh, I mean, like all the stuff. I love that 1920s pulp stuff. Yep. But um, when I saw Doc Savage, I was like, Okay, do I need to know who Doc Savage is? But I don't. So this book actually fills in the gap of one of yours. So we know that Kong's body gets back to Skull Island, mm-hmm. but very similar to how King Kong versus Tarzan tells the story of how he got to New York, uh, Doc Savage Skull Island tells the story of how his body got back to Skull Island. Spoilers, folks. Sorry. Um but uh, it's also, again, another prequel because I because th- Doc Savage met Kong before the Denim expedition. So, Let me give you a little bit of backstory here. It's important. Okay. Well, I, go ahead, finish. I didn't mean to cut you off. It's just so much yeah. to say. So Doc Savage, folks, uh, I'm going to let Joe take it over here because, I mean, like, he's, he's closer to this than I am. But if I'm going to equate him to any current uh, hero that you guys might be familiar with, he's Indiana Jones. Basically, I mean, like if, if I was going to call him something, he is Indiana Jones, but buffer. Mm-hmm. There we go. That, that's <laughs> it. Basically, Indiana Jones is Doc Savage. You know, it's it's uh, you hit the nail right on the head uh, on both. Uh, just to clarify with both of those books, uh, King Kong versus Tarzan and Skull Island with Doc Savage. Um, the Doc Savage concept uh, on Skull Island, uh, I pitched that concept to Will. Uh, to do that because I thought it was such a cool thing and I'll tell you why in a second and then the Tarzan and King Kong one was one of Will's ideas for the concept and we collaborate very closely on anything and everything having to do with King Kong in both books except that I had nothing to do with any of the actual writing Will did all of the writing on both books and Will is aka Kenneth Robeson which is the pen name for Doc Savage originally by um uh written by the original author and then will picked it up in recent years i won't get into all of the details but what doc savage is and this is where his tie-in is to king kong john you'll love this if you don't know but doc savage is the core most people would say and reasonably so of all of the entire universe of superheroes superman batman Everybody all the way through, they all have their core in Doc Savage. Doc Savage's name is Clark Savage Jr. Clark Kent got his nickname, or got his name, most people would agree, from Doc Savage, Clark Savage. He had a fortress of solitude. He was a virtual Superman, although he was fully human. And he was a doctor, but he surrounded himself with a team of people that were the best in their field, the best engineer, the best electrician, best architect, best military guy, whatever. 
and they would go all over the world fighting the Nazis and everything else. They came out in the ninth, believe it or not, Doc Savage came out right around the time of King Kong. I think a month after the shadow, give or take. This is Will's specialty. And I met Will back in the 90s because I illustrated all, Lester Dent was the original author of Doc Savage. And he wrote all the ones, uh, boy, this is getting so much into illustration history here. It's so much fun, but it'll go way askew. Uh, suffice it to say that Doc Savage uh, was, I believe, the inspiration for both Superman and Batman to begin with, which were two of the very first, you know, superheroes, and has a hand in just about everybody. But his office was on the Empire, in the Empire State Building. I believe it was the 86th floor of the Empire State Building. And Doc Savage was a genius of all kinds. He had all these people surrounding him, but he was better than all of them in each individual field, even though his primary one was as a doctor. So the point is, is that he would have been in the Empire State Building and seen Kong fall. And I remember when I was talking to Will, I said, you know, what a great story. Where was Doc Savage when Kong fell? What happened? And was he involved in helping get that body out of New York in a way that nobody else could have uh, coming up with ideas and whatnot in a way that nobody else could have? And that was the core thing. And then we got rid of, of course, Will wrote the whole story because he's the world's foremost Doc Savage historian. And that's the origin of that book. Uh, or rather, I should, it's the origin of the book, but it's also how that book ties in with, with my Kong zeitgeist, which, which in the Tarzan one, all of the details very much are needed in terms of, of the, the Kong Skull Island universe to enable that journey to actually take place. Um, I'm talking about getting Kong from Skull Island to New York City. There's a lot of little details in there with the storyteller, the Pendanjira, Penjaga, uh, and how and her relation to Kong on the island. With it. It's a whole thing. I won't give anything away. But I will say this. Um, the rewrite of the original King Kong, and this was the reason for it. Uh, the Coopers and I have been working together for many years, uh, and they were so taken with where the whole prequel sequel story was going that we rewrote, when I say we, Brad and I together, but all uh, took the original King Kong novel, updated the syntax, updated the paleontology. For instance, if you look, read the original novel, it was very pulpily written. And uh, for people that don't know, the original novel was very, very short. It was like 90 pages or something like that. And, uh, you know, when Kong gets to New York, uh, he's there and dead within like, you know, like 10 pages. I mean, it's a very... <laughs> Short story, and and the yeah. original novel came out actually three months bef- before the original movie. So the novel was published in thirty two, not thirty three, like the movie. Okay. And when we rewrote the novel, all of the, uh, the as I mentioned, the syntax, the scientific stuff, like the the confrontation with the T Rex, I think was a, a leaping, slathering lizard, is the way they did describe it. You know, so that section I all rewrote according to what a T-Rex would really be and all of that and added a lot more. We we added at least four complete new chapters to the book and introduced wow. several characters from the Skull Island universe that I had created because that's how Kong logically actually gets back to New York City. You got to read it or whatever. But some people, if they don't read 
the original and really read it and then read what we did. They think, oh, all they did was just nothing. You know, they tried to just no. There was a lot of key information that was added and expanded into that book so that there was a seamless synergy created between the original King Kong story that and the prequel sequel that I, that I had created so that the Coopers and I now own this unique King Kong storyline from beginning to end that is the first of its kind and unlike any other. And that it, that's the story behind that and why it's called Marion C. Cooper's King Kong. That was uh, um, initiated, you know, by them uh, and everything. They own the, the, the copyright in that novel. Uh, and that is the, and what explains that. And then that was a, um, a side novel that came out after the Kong King of Skull Island book from Dark Horse in 04. That novel was written to synergize the duo because they loved the way it came out so much. And then the limited edition novel, King Kong of Skull Island, takes all of that information and ex exponentially expands on it to tell the story of where the Kongs came from, where the Tagatu civilization came from, how they interacted with each other, what happened to drive them to get to Skull Island, how they got to Skull Island, what happened when they got to Skull Island, that they ran into this pseudo-sentient Saurian race that was defending their homeland. You know, but on the other hand, they're trying to prevent themselves from becoming extinct, meaning the human population in the Kongs. What happened in the battle between them and how the wall got built? And then with that was all of the new all of the notes are completely new, additional sketchbook stuff and everything else. And then I wrote extended histories of it all to go with it that come in after that. And so what I did, because it was necessary to reintroduce the original Skull Island story, which took place as a novel in the first uh, in, uh, for the first time in the Dark Horse book. But for the first time, what I did was I took that original Skull Island story that was never published and put that in the new expanded King Kong of Skull Island. So for the first time, you have the actual origin story that I wrote that is needed as an anchor on which to tell the whole rest of the exodus and the building of the wall. So it's not just re And what I did was I incorporated the original Skull Island story and all of the key illustrations before that Dark Horse book ever came out so that those, those original illustrations and that original story were tied in for the first time into the entire King Kong universe that we had created that is the most up-to-date one that we've got at, at this time. So I hope all of that makes sense. It, it seems complicated, but it's really not if you look at it from an, no pun intended, an evolutionary process. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a very simple question. Yes. What book should people start with? If you want to, if the, the simple way to go, the two that are out right now. If you could get the limited edition book, there's very few left. Um, but it is, like you know, Joe, it, it's a, it, it is a cool book in the slipcase and all of the rest. But it's expensive and all of the rest, and there's not many left, and it won't be there for long. Uh, I knew that the, the, it'll never make, you know, it would, it will never be introduced into the mass public. It'll never happen. It'll never be printed again. So, uh, that one called, as sorry? a collector, if you want to get that, but the one to get, 
Exodus and The Wall. Those are the two. You don't those are on Amazon. Those are Amazon. They're on now. Right. They just went up. Forget about everything else. You get these two. It's got everything in it. But if you bought the Kickstarter book, the, the um, limited edition one, you don't need to get these two books because it, it's basically that book in mass market form. There we go. I don't want people to buy both thinking that there's new stuff. In, there is new right. stuff in these. There's about ten or 20,000 more words. But the essence of it is identical. There we so go. So you don't have to have both is, is what I'm saying. There we go. And with that, we're going to take our final break. Stay tuned, folks. If your friends haven't told you, McDonald's Spicy Chicken McNuggets are back. The ones made with spicy tempura and aged cayenne. But before you go telling friends, make sure you get them first. Order ahead on the McDonald's app. For a limited time at participating McDonald's. When it comes to working at GEICO, our best advocates are our employees, like Maxine. But since she is so focused on growing her career, we hired an actor to read her story. At GEICO, I love mentoring the new associates to help them make this a career and not just a job. And with new opportunities and job stability, GEICO has been helping people grow their careers for over 75 years. The only downside, she still hasn't met the gecko. Where are you, fella? Ready to start your career, Kansas City? We're hiring claim sales and service agents. Apply online today at geico.job slash Kansas City. Welcome back to Kaiju Curry House. My name is Joe. I'm here with another Joe and Paul, uh, ready to move forward for the last segment. There we go. So, Joe, um, something that came up during the break, you write a lot. You're always producing more words on paper. You are always creating more art. So what is next for your Kong universe? Where would you like to see it head, and what are your dream projects for it? Oh, my. Ideally, uh, I would like to see some TV and movie projects come to fruition. Uh, there is a universe that's been created that I could quite literally spend the rest of my life expanding on. On the other hand, I don't know how many years I have left, and there are a lot of other things I want to do, one of them being a gigantic project that I have had in motion for a good 10 years now that's getting very close to going live, and that's called The Primordials. And it's actually larger and more complex than the King Kong Skull Island property. Uh, I've been working on that for a very long time, uh, and I can't. And so the, the two of them and many fine art projects and all kinds of other things are all happening in parallel, um, all, all happening at the same time. So I'm trying to figure out how to evolve into an octopus and be able to do everything at the same time. But so far, no luck. I've only got two arms still. Tragic that. Yeah. So are there any new books in the future that might be coming out, getting reprinted well, or? Well, one would be the, the one that we're working on, and I want to escape the emphatically here that uh, Brad Strickland is such a major part of the books that I put out, and we're working on the novelization of the primordials right now as we speak. Uh, in terms of King Kong, uh, added material to that, it's on hold for the time being because I'm putting all my energies into getting the primordials done, uh, and if truth be told, working on some very large-scale sculptures at the same time. Okay. So you've 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 teased the primordials now, Joe. Do we get to have a little bit of uh, an inkling of what that's about? Are you willing to share? Uh, I'm trying to think if I could give a. Uh, let's put it this way: it turns 
our conception of the origin of man on its ear, as well as uh, past human civilizations. Uh, in that, it has some synergy with the Skull Island universe, uh, but in a completely uh, different way. It, it's epic in terms of its time scale and what is involved with it. Are we talking it like dinosaurs and involves the humans and dinosaurs and things hey, like that? Humans and dinosaurs, I'm gay. There we go. That's <laughs> right. that's that's me made. Yeah. Right. So you, you've nailed it. <laughs> there's a key there's a key giant creature in it that has uh Kongish overtones but totally different. Oh, this is great. Oh folks. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Joe, you're gonna sell one book. <laughs> there we go. Uh but uh, any so when would that be expected? Like next year, next five years? Um, I'm hoping within the next year. I'm looking for. We're already novelizing it now. We already have a screenplay written. Uh, I've got artwork, a lot of artwork already done. Uh, but it is, as I mentioned, it's a very complicated uh, uh, epic uh, proposal. And so what we're searching for is the best way in order to launch it, whether that be as a novel with a cover and that's it, or possibly in segments uh, where I can do a chapter at a time with illustrations with it over a period of months. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to go, and we're, we're still figuring that out. Fair enough. Well, I look forward to seeing it. Hopefully, we can have you back on the podcast. We can talk more about it once the time comes. I would love to. I've genuinely enjoyed every minute uh, talking with you guys. Thank you so very much. Well, no problem. Okay. Well, it's actually about that time, sad to say, where we got to wrap this up. So we always end our podcast with a segment called If Nothing Else, where we recommend things where, you know, based on the content of the episode, we will give new listeners an idea where they can get more information or more along this kind of feel of media. So... Of course, what we're going to do, Joe, is we're going to recommend your books that have just come out on Amazon. And for any more information, I'm going to give a shout out to KongSkullIsland.com, which is your homepage. It has pretty much everything on there. And if you're looking for the books, all the books that Joe has written are on there. And there are links to Amazon.com. So there is King Kong of Skull Island Part 1 Exodus. And then there's Kong of Skull Island Part 2, The Wall. Right now, those are both soft cover. They're available on Amazon. So if you want to go to KongSkullIsland.com, you'll get a definite feel of what these books are about via Joe's art and the content on the website. And then you can click the links and go right onto Amazon and purchase them. So I'm sorry if I stole anybody else's recommendation, but <laughs> that is where I'm going to lead everybody who's asking for my input. So, Joe, if nothing else, what would you recommend? Uh, first, thank you for that send-up, Joe. I appreciate it. And and I'll just underline, if you those two books combined have everything I've ever done in one spot. So if you're wondering how to get it all, that's all you got to do is get those, and all the, all the past will be included. Um, the only other things I would add to that, Joe, is that I've got a Facebook page where I'm updating regularly called Kong of Skull Island. I have a blog that I just launched recently, uh, King Kong of Skull Island. And then there is Instagram and Twitter. 
Uh, I believe the Instagram is King Kong under slash Skull Island. And the Twitter one is King Kong of SI, SI standing for Skull Island. So I think I've got as many variations of King Kong and Skull Island for different things as you can come up with for the, the various things. But hopefully that helps. And those are updated regularly. That's brilliant. I mean, it's always great to have social media updated regularly on content that we enjoy. So, folks, be sure to check those out. Follow and subscribe to Joe and check out his website. Paul, if nothing else. Uh, yeah, uh, and if nothing else, and possibly a question, um, jdevito.com, is that, does that have any extra content that's not on your other sites? Nope. Uh, that's where I've been looking, but that's... Yeah. com is, is my work not connected to King Kong, ah, okay. although it has a link to the King Kong site. But that, that uh, you know, I do a lot of fine artwork and other things as well. I'm working constantly. Yeah. That's but it, okay. Kong, com is where to go for all things Kong. Kong, okay. Well, in that case, yeah, so I'll, I'll recommend go to jdevito.com because I saw you've got your sculptures there that you've done as well, um, and you've got prints and lots of other stuff that, might not be to do with Kong, but just shows you know other projects that you've worked on, which is always great to see. Mm-hmm. And I suppose I should mention Kong of Skull Island is the one that's just had me hooked. Um, I loved it, and uh, I especially like the um, pictures that they've got at the end that show some of your artwork. The one of the of the gore is mm-hmm. it gore? Yeah, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Love love it. I mean, I don't know if you do you have a book of your like sketches and things because some of them are just. No, they're absolutely stunning. They really are. I was looking at this, I was thinking, wow, that, that's just, you know, we were saying earlier about things that are cool. That is so cool. Thank <laughs> you. The, the new books that are out now and yeah. the one from 04 are, are the, both, all those books at the end are extensive sketchbook sections. Oh, really? With oh. all hand drawings with hand annotated notes. I believe oh, wow. in the, uh, combined in the, the new books, um, Exodus and the Wall, I think there's like 25 pages or more, maybe 27 or 28, with tons oh, of and things. But thank you. I appreciate it, Paul. Oh, wow. I'm, yeah, I'm definitely going to have to um, delve uh, deeper. Joe's, Joe's got me in now. Yeah, Joe was holding <laughs> it up there. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of cool stuff. It's just plain fun. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, it's, you know, your passion really has, you know, shone through here. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing that um yeah that you've 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 written and and drawn and thought about this so much it's just fantastic thank you well that wraps it up for episode number 47 of kaiju curry house thank you very much for joining us and as always keep it kaiju thanks for joining us at the curry house today we hope we've given you enough kaiju goodness to last until next time if you want to follow us on twitter we're at curry kaiju if you want to join us on facebook we're at uk kaiju And if you want to find out about other shows in the network, please visit heroespodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Joe, in any of your upcoming work, do you think there'll be perhaps a reference to a, a subterranean creature like a graboid? Oh, God.
<laughs> I don't know. I know there's a lot of subterranean stuff, but I, I couldn't tell you, Paul. So, so, Joe, did the Graboids go extinct on Skull Island because of Death Runners? Uh, all I could tell you is, what is a Graboid? I'm, You're breaking Paul's heart now. Oh, it's the, oh. Uh, it's the creature in Tremors. Oh, 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 I didn't know that. I'm, oh, my goodness, Paul. <laughs> You gotta forgive me there. I didn't know that. it's been a while. I forgot that they called it a graboid. Oh my goodness. There's yeah. some graboids on there, but no, maybe I should put one in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just yeah. sneak one in the background there. Oh no, no, no. You should definitely like <laughs> very cheekily sneak a graboid into oh, one of my... your art books. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> oh, if I ever if I if and when I add on to it, I promise you I will put something in there. And I'll I, I will name it after you probably. You know, oh, like, oh wow! Oh, I'll have to get a signed copy of that. Oh, print. there we go. Oh. I'll, I, I, I got to come up with something. Every time I think of that movie, that one scene where they blow the crap out of you, go, yeah, we're broken in the wrong damn basement this time, didn't you? You know? Oh yeah, I'll be not I love that movie. When we made our new McDonald's spicy chicken McNuggets, you were praise hands emoji. Then we ran out, and you were screaming tears emoji. Now they're back, so you can be grinning face with sweat emoji. Order ahead on the McDonald's app. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. For a limited time at participating McDonald's. Here's three great reasons to get the new Samsung Galaxy S21 5G at T-Mobile. One, it's free for both current and new customers when you trade in an eligible device. Two, T-Mobile's the leader in 5G coverage. So, three, you can unleash 5G speeds in more places with your new phone. Get the new Galaxy S21 free at T-Mobile, the leader in 5G coverage. Phone via 24-monthly bill credits plus tax. If you cancel credit, stop and balance on required finance agreement may be due. Contact us. Qualifying credit and consumer plan required. See details at T-Mobile.com.